Hey, good morning. Glad you guys are here today. Let's stand up and worship the Lord together. Sang this song last week and learned it. Sing it again. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me. Never late, he's working all things out, working all things out. Say, Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name.
every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, I believe that you are my fortress, oh you are my portion, you are my hiding place, I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe every blessing, every promise.
So good. Yeah, let's pray together, friends. God, it's great to come to church today. It's great to come into your house, sing some of these songs that just kind of bring us back to center, kind of hit the reset button on our perspective. Um, so many of us walk in today needing a do-over. Um, maybe it's been a week. Um, some of us come in today just really needing to hear from you and experience just a little touch of your presence because we've got to know again that you're here and that you're real and that we can reach out and actually know that you're there. So, um, God, whatever you need to be today in all of our lives, individually and collectively, I pray that you just be that. And um, we release ourselves to that. We're open to that. And thank you, Lord, that um, through all of our stuff, we can just bring it to you and you'll deal with it and uh, you'll kind of set us back on the right course and on the right path. So um, thanks for uh, just that reminder today in worship and in prayer. So, Lord, um, bless the rest of our day, we pray, as we uh, pay attention to what you would like for us. In your name, we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you, gang. I'm Billy. I'm the worship pastor. Glad you're here today. And uh, we do this thing called the meet and greet. So say hi to somebody around you. We'll see you back in a second. Thanks, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Hey, um, we have a packed house this morning. So if you can, like, scoot in towards the middle, that would be awesome. Make room for... As many people as can come in. I'm Sam. I'm the next-gen pastor here at Hopefell. Welcome again. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. It is a beautiful day outside, and we ordered it just for you. So <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, we also do want to recognize that, you know, Mother's Day can be a, a great experience for a lot of us, uh, a lot of the moms. I'm not a mom, but... Um, but it also, it can be kind of difficult for some people. It can be um, sometimes painful. And so we do want to recognize that as well with a group this size here um, today. But we do want to say happy Mother's Day to all, all the moms. Um, if you're visiting with us or you're newer to, to Hopefell, we want to say a very special welcome to you. Um, and we actually, we have a gift for you if you're visiting with us for the first time here today. And so if you want to stop off at our welcome center after the service and say hi, and then we want to give you a gift and say thank you so much for visiting with us. If you are newer to Hopevale um, and you want, uh, you have some questions about, you know, who we are, what do we believe, all those kind of things. Um, next week, we have something called Get to Know Hopevale right after um, each of the services. It's going to be in the hub. And so uh, it's like 20-minute experience, maybe 30-minute experience, where we, can, we talk about like who we are, our mission, what we're all about, what we value, how you fit into that mix, and uh, give you a chance to ask some questions. And so um, if you want to take advantage of that, that's next week after both of the services. Well, I'm the next-gen pastor here, so I work with families, I work with our students, I work with our kids and the staff, the staff that gets to work with all those. Um, and so I have a couple announcements that are family-related. The first one is this. Um, we have something coming up this summer called Summer FX, and um, this actually came out of a conversation that our kids director, Jody Quinn, and I were having a couple months ago, where we were talking about what, what would happen if we took our Bible camp experience and we reimagined it, where it really highlighted our value of partnering with families. And so out of that conversation came this whole idea of Summer FX or a summer family experience, a week-long family experience where families come and learn and grow together. And so we're so excited about that and what that means. is, So if you would, um, as you walked in on your, your seat, there was a card. And if you want more information about our family um, experience this summer, or if you want to register, registration is open now. Um, if you would go to hopeville.org slash FX. Um, you can do that um, today. You can register or you can get more information, watch videos, all that kind of stuff. Or if you have a fancy QR reader on your phone, you can actually do that 
right as you leave. I would not suggest doing it during the service, but uh, you can do it when you leave. You can read the QR code, and it'll take you right to that website. We're really excited about what um, the potential of this summer family experience is going to be for our families, and we're, we're, we're pumped about it. Um, something else for families. Um, last Saturday, May 4th, we had our child dedication here at Hopevale, and we had 12 families, both from Hopevale Saginaw and Hopevale Bay City, go through that dedication process, and it was so exciting to be a part of. Look at all these pictures. I mean, we had over 150 people here um, to celebrate these families and the children that they were dedicating, and so if you are a family that was a part of that child dedication last Saturday, would you just stand up? We want to recognize you, um, and we want to you know, applaud you and say, way to go. Awesome job. So exciting. And so if you would stay standing, we're going to invite the ushers to come forward. And we actually want to pray for these families, too, as we pray for our offering time. And so um, let's go to God in prayer as we uh, take a moment in our service to be generous with giving, just because God has blessed us with so much. We want to bless, uh, turn around and bless other people. And then um, we're going to pray for these families, too. So let's pray together. God, we... Um, we just thank you so much um, for uh, a moment in our week where we can um, pause everything else we're doing and we can turn to you and say, um, we want to focus this moment solely on you. And so God, as we worship, as we sing, as we learn together, God, I pray that that would be um, true of us today. God, we thank you so much for mothers and we thank you for a day where we can celebrate them. And God, we also recognize that... Um, that this day can be, can be hard for some people and painful. And so we want to pray for them too. We pray encouragement and comfort um, for, the, for those also. And God, we, um, we thank you so much for um, the gift that is children and um, for these families who last week uh, came forward and said, we want to dedicate our kids to God. We want to provide an environment that is conducive and helpful for our children to understand who Jesus is and how he fits into their life, and how this all, whole thing works. And so, um, God, we pray for these families that are standing right now. We pray that um, uh, that you would be with them as they parent. Parenting is not easy, but it's so rewarding. And so I pray that you would um, encourage them, give them wisdom, um, give them the support of their friends and family and their church family um, to partner with them to do this thing called parenting so that they can um, raise their kids the best they possibly can to know and follow Jesus. And God, as we give this morning, may we give out of, heart, out of a heart of generosity and love, knowing that you've blessed us with so much, and we just want to give back a portion of that so that you can use it to bless others. And we can't wait to see how you use um, our, our generous hearts to, uh, to minister to the lives of people, not only here in our area, but um, all, the, all across the world. And so we thank you again, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Sam. <clears throat> Hey, so I had a pastor uh, at a former church. He, he used this phrase. It says, uh, control is relative. All control is relative. I'm like, what do you mean by that? And he said, uh, he says, I don't know. Think about it, Billy. Think like, you know, when you're born, you're a baby. Uh, you are completely reliant. You have zero control. You're just completely reliant on your parent or guardian to raise you and to feed you and to do everything for you. And then we get older and then we get more understanding and obviously we can get more in control of our lives and do the things we would like to do and want to do. But um, in the grand universal scheme of things, I don't know, what do we live? 50, 100 years and we're done. And, uh, and it just 
that's what happens on this rock, and I'm not minimizing our lives by, by saying that. I'm just saying that in the grand scheme of things, man, God has just got so much under control and in his grasp, and we need to remember who's made us and who has designed everything around us in this big, gigantic uh, scheme of blackness of space, and we're this little rock whipping around a burning star, and... Um, Yet God loves us so very much and has a gigantic purpose for us. So uh, I hope that's just maybe just a word of perspective for you that kind of draws you into this next song that we're going to sing that starts off saying, before I even spoke a word, you were, you were singing over me and you were dancing over me and you were completely in control before I could do anything. Let's release all of that control, I think, uh, God would be so honored by that, just to be, again, reminded that, that he is fully in control and that we are not. So um, as we worship together, uh, let's just dive in as Amber leads us. Take us in, Mark.
ride up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Coming after me There's no shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down
chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. So, so powerful. Yeah. Go ahead, Amber. Lead us in prayer. Yes. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we are your children. It gets me really emotional on Mother's Day because now I know what it's like to love a child, and you love us way more than that. I just want to take a second just to soak that in, that we are chosen. We're not forsaken. And we're loved by you. We didn't do anything to deserve it, God, but we are loved by you. Thank you. Thank you for that. God, you are so good. And you're holy. You're so good. God, I just pray for everyone here, Lord, that they can feel that today. No matter where they are in life, no matter if they're a mom or not or anything, God, but they feel your love, the love of a parent, which is, your love is far, far greater than that. Thank you so much for that, that we are yours, that we're chosen, that we're not forsaken, that we are a child of you. Thank you. We love you so much, Lord, and we just, um, we lift you high. We lift you high, God. In your name, amen. Good morning, Hope Vale. Good morning. Good morning, Bay City. We're doing a series in the month of May on the story of your life. And today we ask the two big questions. Who am I and why am I here? A quick review. Last week we said the Bible is a story of creation, fall, and redemption. And we 
focused on creation last week and this week as well. And we learned that creation last week is good. It's also our home. We're, we're earthlings for heaven's sake. And God put us here and wants us to enjoy the planet. And today we'll talk about the meaning of life. So first, who am I? Well, the Bible tells us on the very first page, Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Who are we? We're the image of God. In Bible times, kings would erect statues of themselves and on the corners of their empire, and those statues represented them. And so God is telling us, we represent him. God who made this planet put us here on this place to represent him and to rule this world on his behalf. So Genesis 1.26 says that God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Two quick takeaways from being made in God's image. You and I don't know what we're worth. God is, he dwells in unapproachable light. God is unfathomable. And you are made in his image. You are his image. Never, ever sell yourself short. Secondly, it's also true of the person beside you. We worship with people. We live with people. We work with people who may exasperate us. You may have had an argument on your way to church this morning. That happens. But be very careful how you argue. You're not living. You're not sitting beside a mere mortal. James 3.9 says, be careful. Don't bless God and curse people who are made in God's image. What we do to people is what we do to God. This room is full of dignity and people whose worth is more than we can imagine, more than we can comprehend. So who are we? We're image of God. Why did God put us here? Three big reasons. First, and we're in church, so you know I'm supposed to say, we're here to love God. And that's true. Jesus said the very first command in Matthew 22 was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. You and I are creatures, right? Our bodies and our souls are part of the natural world. And yet, unlike anything else in creation, we have a supernatural end, a supernatural goal. Nothing here will ever satisfy us. It's not supposed to. Augustine opens his confessions by saying, Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. You ever notice when you're, when you're really little, maybe your first birthday, you thought, if I just get that piece of cake, I'll be so happy. And you start crying, and you get the cake, and you're happy, and then you're not. Then you think, if I just get that, that toy, or that ball, or that, that bike, and you get it, and then it's, it passes. Then you think, if I just get that phone, or just get her to go out with me, or just get into that school, just get into that major, just get that job, if I just get married, if we just have kids, what were we thinking? Um, if I just have grandkids, okay, that's better. If I just get a promotion, if I just retire, have you noticed? It's always the next thing. 
We spent our entire lives waiting for the next thing, thinking that's the thing that's going to do it for us, and it never is. When will we learn? The only thing that will ever satisfy you and me is not a thing, it's, it's a person. It's Jesus. So last week we mentioned we're put here to enjoy creation, absolutely. But don't put our hopes in it. Don't put our dreams in anything here. Nothing here can deliver what you're looking for. This is crazy, but it's true. When it all comes down to bottom, what is life all about really? It's one question. What is your relationship to a Middle Eastern man? Jesus lived 2,000 years ago on the other side of the planet, spoke a different language, lived in a different culture. He looks like someone TSA might pull out of the boarding line to, to check. And yet, the only thing that really matters is, do you know Jesus? Are you in him? Do you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and might? But we don't love Jesus at the exclusion of everything else. If you love Jesus, you love others too, right? Um, if you love someone, you tend to love what they love, right? Because I love my children, I know more Pop-Tart flavors and Taylor Swift songs than a man my age probably should. Well, if you love Jesus, what does Jesus love? The world. So you don't love Jesus, you love Jesus more than the world, yes, but if you love Jesus, you also love his world as well. And so Jesus said when asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, I can't give you just one. Actually, it's two. Love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Why is loving your neighbor the, the other side of the same coin of loving God? Because God made us in his image as male and female. And why did he do that? Well, because God's a trinity. Now, God is triune God, which means he's three persons, one being. One essence, three persons. We cannot explain this mystery, but this is the mystery that explains us. You cannot make sense of yourself and your own life if God is not triune, if God is not three persons in one essence. You see, if he's three persons, that means he is relationship. And God is ultimate reality. That means ultimate reality. Reality at bottom is relationship. And that's why you will be unfulfilled and unhappy unless you have flourishing, loving relationships. Have you heard about the Grant study? Uh, back in 1937, uh, they, they had this study which started with 300 Harvard sophomore men and said, we're gonna follow you throughout your whole life and check in every five years, every 10 years, do another assessment and see how your life is going. And they followed these 300 men through World War II, through jobs and marriages and divorce and layoffs, and now most of them are dead. And there's this one man who was overseeing the study for about 40 years. In fact, he did a TED Talk. If you just Google TED Talk, Grant Study, it's a 12-minute talk, it's really worth seeing. But when asked, so what have you learned? in three or four decades of overseeing this grant study and watching these men live their whole lives and then die. He said, the only thing that really matters in life is your relationship to other people. 
That's true, isn't it? And people are saying now that in the West, in our cultures, we now have an epidemic of loneliness, right? Great Britain just appointed a minister of loneliness. Ironically, the only one of this kind. Um, a U.S. Attorney General said a bigger risk in heart disease in this culture is loneliness, right? If we're honest, we're lonely, right? We're fragmented. We're separated from each other. It's hard to, to have a meaningful, deep connection with other people. What a gift, what an opportunity for the church, right? This should be a place where lonely people like us come and connect. It'll take effort, right? Because we're, we're insecure because we're not even practiced very well at connecting with other people. And the person you're talking to, they're lonely too. They're not good at this either. But make the effort. Before you leave today, make a connection. This, the body of Christ, the church, is what the world says they know they need. And we know it too. We're put here to love Jesus, but we also need other people. Why? Because God is not just one person. He's three persons. And what about these three persons? These three persons, they live in self-giving love. They are a community of, of self-giving lovers. Our triune God is three persons who always put aside what might be in their own best interest to serve the others. So when Jesus said in Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done, that was not a new prayer. The father did not say, whoa, where'd that come from? The son has always said that to the father. And every parent knows that moment was way harder even on the father than the son. To know the son was going to have to go to the cross and the father would be, would be the one holding the knife like Abraham back in Genesis 22. But in this case, he would have to go through with it and plunge his knife into his only begotten son. You have three persons, a father, son, and the spirit says, fine, I, I will leave heaven, I will come to earth, and I will indwell these people. Three persons who always put aside what might be in their own best interest, and they serve the other. There's no quit in the triune God, right? The son doesn't say, why do I always get the hard jobs? I'm out of here. And the spirit doesn't say, well, at least they notice you. Thank me for the Pentecostals. I'm the invisible person. I quit. No, these persons are committed to each other. And think about it. This triune God, who is a community of self-giving lovers, this God made you and me in his image. That's why your happiest, most satisfying days are the days you didn't live for yourself, but you put aside your own interests, your own agenda, and you serve somebody else. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 16, 24. If you want to find your life, you've got to lose it. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and then come, follow me. For a lot of my life, I thought Jesus here was offering the big trade. If you want to have a great afterlife, okay, fine, but it's going to cost you this one. So every missionary conference, I remember, ended the same way, altar call, come forward and tell Jesus, you are willing to go anywhere in the world. You will be perfectly miserable in this life, so you get a great afterlife. But I don't think that's what he's saying, actually. He's saying, do you want to live? Do you want to really live now? Here's the recipe. Do what we do, and we made you like us in our image. Deny yourself. Lose your life, and then you'll find it.
In fact, lose your life for me and you'll really find it. It's counterintuitive, but you already know it's true, right? Think about your happiest days. Aren't they the days you, you put aside your plans for the day? You help somebody move, shingle a roof, brought them a meal, you drove 200 miles to surprise a friend on their birthday. It was extravagant, unexpected, uncalled for, but you made their day. In the process, you made yours. When your head hit the pillow, you had a big smile. Why? Because on this day, you went with the grain of the universe. You were living like the triune God who made you in his image. So God put us here to love him and to love others. And thirdly, to responsibly cultivate the earth that he made. In Genesis 1, in verse 28, God blessed Adam and Eve and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over every living thing that moves on the ground. He elaborates in chapter 2 and verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden, to work it and to take care of it. The word for work there is to serve, and the word for take care of is to guard. So, so protect and yet develop. Uh, God's plan was for Adam and Eve to take Eden, and by serving the garden and guarding it, to extend the borders until the entire world was filled with human culture and the knowledge of God. What is culture anyway? It's what you get when, you, when humans interact with the earth. They take the metals and pound it and make cars and trumpets. And they take the extra wool on a sheep and knit it into uh, sweaters. So this command is what we call the cultural mandate, the command to, to make something of this place. Think about it. God made this beautiful, stunning world. He says seven times in chapter one of Genesis, it's good. The last time he says, it's very good. And he didn't say, Adam and Eve, if I was God, I would say, Adam and Eve, here's this wonderful world. Please, just don't break anything. But he didn't. He said, Adam and Eve, make something of this place. Stamp your image on it. Develop culture. Learn what grows best where. And we live now with the human race has fairly well obeyed this command to develop something of this place. The reformers in the 16th century tied these three strands together. We're here to love God, serve neighbor, and develop culture. They tied it together in a really important concept called vocation. Vocation, Latin word vocari, it means call. And to explain this and why it's so important, you've got to see this. I want to tell you quickly a little bit of Martin Luther's story. So Luther lived in the 1500s, and in that day there was really a two-tiered level of piety, of spirituality. So money was okay, but if you really wanted to please God, you'd aim higher and take the vow of poverty. Uh, marriage was okay, but if you really wanted to please God, you'd aim higher and take the vow of celibacy. So monks and priests and nuns, they were the spiritual elite. They were on the fast track to heaven. So Luther said, that's what he should do. He was once caught in a thunderstorm. He thought he was going to die. And he cried out to St. Anne, Mary's mother, and said, St. Anne, save me, and I'll become a monk. Why St. Anne? Well, she was a patron saint of miners, and Luther's dad was a copper miner, also the patron saint of those caught in thunderstorms. So this is a twofer. 
He says, Saint Anne, save me, I'll become a monk. And he, he aimed higher and tried to please God. He fasted for three days straight. He would sleep at night without covers. My wife does this too, but that's on me. Um, he damaged his health. He said this, I was a good monk, and I kept the rule of my order so strictly that if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. He tried so hard to aim higher and please God and satisfy him, but it was never enough. He once went to confession and confessed for six hours straight. And his confessor stopped and said, Luther, you haven't done anything. Come back when you've sinned. Murder your parents. Have an affair. Do something. What you're confessing are just not even really sins. And tried to encourage him. He said, Luther, you, you just have to love God. And Luther said, love God? I think I hate him. Do you know how hard it is to give up enough to satisfy God? I don't have sex. I, I don't have money. I don't have covers. I don't eat food. I'm trying to be so high. And, but he's holy. How can you get high enough to satisfy him? And Luther just about had a nervous breakdown. And then by discovering scripture and reading it and praying, he realized that's the point. You and I cannot give up enough to get to where God is. The gospel, the good news of the Bible is that Jesus has come to us. Jesus has lived a perfect life that we could not live and died for our sins and rose again and he's coming back. So if we put our faith in him, if we turn from our sin and put all our weight on Jesus, his life counts for us. And when Luther realized this, he relaxed. He breathed. And one of the first things he did was get married. A truckload of nuns came to Wittenberg hiding in pickle barrels. And Luther found husbands for all of them except one, Katie. And she said, okay, okay I'll, I'll do it. I'll marry her. His friend says, Luther, good idea, but not this one. Uh, she's not a good match. But he did, and they had a really a wonderful marriage. And Luther, in the Reformation, it was discovering the goodness of a normal Christian life. In fact, Luther wrote this little treatise called The Freedom of a Christian. And he said, when I was back on that fast track to heaven, I spent all of my time, all of my energy, trying to save myself. But now that I realize as we, who I am is who I am in Christ, I'm free. I can give myself away. I can serve you. He picked up on what Paul said in Galatians 5.13. Brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Notice that God's call is not one and done. God calls us to himself in salvation, and that call continues all the way through your lives. God has called you in freedom to serve other people, humbly in love. So every Christian is called, and every calling counts. In Colossians 3, verse 23, Paul says to slaves, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Again, slaves are lowest in that society. And Paul said, even if you're a slave, you're not just serving your master, you're serving Jesus. 
Why could Paul say that? Well, because in Colossians 1, he says Jesus is the creator of all things. And if he's the creator, then it's Jesus who back in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 said to Adam and Eve, make something of this place. So you're not just serving your human employer or your master, you're serving Christ. So all of us in this room are called to follow Jesus. He calls all of us to follow him. We all have that in common. But how you follow Jesus depends on where you are in life. So I follow Jesus as a husband, a father, a son, a brother, a church member, a seminary professor, and these are all ways that I serve Jesus. Your callings may be different depending on where you are in life, but here's the point. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. God has no second-class Christians. You maybe have never made it to the stage but you need to know that your calling counts just as much as any of the pastors, just as much as me. We all are called to follow Jesus. This is personal. When I was little, my dad thought that God was calling him into missions. Took some Bible classes at night and uh, went on a mission trip, but came back and said, you know what? It's not for me. I'm not cut out for this. Instead, he went on to become the very best finished drywaller in Northeast Ohio. His pastor assumed he had settled. You could have been a missionary. My, my dad realized, you know what? I'm not good at that. I might just, it will be the best use of my gifts. And there's no shame in being a really good finished drywaller. We've got to get this. We have to stop calling missionaries and pastors full-time Christians. So what, the rest of us are part-time, half-time? Aren't we all full-time Christians? I've got three brothers, and they're in business. And one man trying to encourage my parents said, you, you must be so grateful to God that one of your sons is doing something of eternal significance. Yeah, that's me. Um, <laughs> oh, that's, that's terrible. We all, we all must do our callings for Jesus. Don't apologize for what you, if it's, as long as it's a wholesome calling, not sinful callings, but if it's a wholesome calling, if you're contributing even in a small way to your neighbor and to culture, you're serving Jesus. It counts. And also remember that your most important callings are the ones you don't get paid for. Remember this if you ever get laid off or retire. Your most important callings, you know they're most important because no one pays you to do them, and if they tried, you'd be offended, right? If you bring someone to church and one of the pastors says, thank you, I think they're going to stay. Here's a gift card to Arby's. First of all, Arby's? But no, you don't pay me. I do that for free. Or if I'm driving home from Traverse City on a romantic weekend, my wife says, thank you for this weekend. I feel your love, and I feel like it's worth about $30. Do you have change for a 50? No. Now I feel dirty. I do that for free. And by the way, these are your most important callings. So some of you, and no, one's tell, no one told me to do this, I'm put up for this, I'm not even paid for this, but some of you need to join this church. Your most important calling is a church member. If Jesus is the head and the church is his body, you can't with a straight face say you're joined to Jesus, the head, if you're not joined to the body. If you try it, you're going to pull a muscle. As the great theologian Beyonce once said, 
If you like it, put a ring on it, right? Don't just live with Jesus, commit and join this body. And by the way, for moms, these callings remind us why, why your callings count. Um, why does it count that you're a mother? Not just because, who knows, that child might grow up to be present or the next Billy Graham. No, your calling as a mom counts because Jesus says it counts. Full stop, period. Jesus said, lay up treasure in heaven. Well, how do you do that? You lay up treasure by doing whatever Jesus rewards. Well, what does he reward? Certainly spiritual things, certainly praying, certainly coming to church. But he said, even a cup of cold water given to my name surely will not lose its reward. So moms, no matter what happens, no matter how your kids turn out, if you do it for Jesus, you'll be rewarded for that. It matters. Here's the payoff. Here's how you know if you're getting this. There's, there's two, two big takeaways. First, if you understand what the Bible is saying about who we are and why we're here, you should feel quite free in Christ. Uh, my new life verse is Colossians 2.9. I, I change life verses every couple of years, but here's my new one. Colossians 2, 9 and 10, which says, Jesus Christ is the fullness of God, and you have been given fullness in Christ. What that means is who I am and who you are is who we are in Jesus. End of story, full stop, period. That means you and I cannot add one bit to our value in Christ. And we can't take one bit away from it. So we're free to try stuff. If you start a business and it takes off and you're in the cover of a magazine, praise God. But nothing's changed. If you start a business and it tanks, that's tragic. But still, nothing's changed. Because who you are is who you are in Christ. Right? That frees me to preach. Like, I want to do a good job. I want you to like the sermon. But it doesn't matter, really. If you like it, praise God. But nothing's changed. If you... Don't like it? Fine, just don't tweet about it. But um, nothing's changed. Who I am, who you are, is who we are in Christ. End of story, period. How liberating is that? Uh, two months ago, I was in Florida visiting my parents. Sarasota, Florida has this um, subdivision where the Amish come from Indiana, Michigan, Ohio. By the bustles, they come to Sarasota. And it's an Amish part of town. They have these evening concerts and sermons, and there was an advertisement for one saying, tonight's sermon is entitled, One Man on Fire for God Can Change the World. And I thought, you know they're Amish people, right? They don't have a Wi-Fi. How are they going to change the world? They're just in their own little enclave. But I thought, huh, I appreciate the challenge to be devoted to Christ, but I wonder about this change the world part. I don't think it, I don't even think that's even, I'm not sure if that's even healthy. Right? A lot of people in their late 20s, I think we're having a, a, a midlife crisis because they've been told since they were little how special they are, how amazing they are. And someday they're going to grow up and they're going to change their world. Then they graduate from college and now they've got some debt and they have a, a job and they're 28 and they look a lot like their parents. Like, oh my goodness, I was special. I was going to change the world. And now I just have a mortgage. And I look pretty ordinary. What a relief. 
What a relief to realize you are not going to change the world. Only one man ever has. Only one man ever can, and he did. Your job, my job, is not to change the world, but to just bear witness to Christ and tell others about him. I love this verse in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11-12 says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your hands, just as we told you. Don't be a bother. Really, Paul? That's all you expect from spirit-filled believers? Aren't you lowering the bar? Maybe, but what if we met it? What if people realized, you know what? If you want, I don't care what the job is. You want education, you want a lawyer, you want a doctor, you want a plumber. Find a Christian. They're the best. They do a good job for a fair price. They're good people. Wouldn't that be the best advertisement for Jesus? So don't apologize if you're not a missionary. Don't apologize if you're not a pastor. We need you to do your calling for the Lord Jesus Christ. We need you to love your spouse and to belong to this place. Your job, your marriage is my business. My marriage, my job, it's your business. We've got to all be together. So be free to be yourself. But it's also about lordship. You're free to be you, but you have to be the very best version of you for Jesus that he's called you to be. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Have you noticed that a lot of companies require their employees to write their initials on the part they made or the task they completed? What if we had to write Jesus' name on each of our jobs? Cleaning the break room bathroom? If you have to sign the checklist that you did it, put Jesus' name right there beside yours. Taking a meal to a new, new mom? Sign Jesus on the card. What if we had to sign each day and hand it up to God? If you're a Christian, you already do. Be liberated, be free. Every calling counts, no matter how small, no matter how low it's paid. It counts, but it's also about lordship, right? You can't have it both ways. If every calling counts, then every calling counts. It matters to Jesus how you do what he's called you to do. So who are you? Who am I? We're image of God. We are worth more than we'll ever comprehend. And so are the people around us, people we live with and work with and worship with. Why are we here? We're here to love God, serve others, and responsibly cultivate the earth. We're all called to follow Jesus. How we follow him is determined by where we are in life. I like to ask three big questions. What am I good at? What do I enjoy doing? And what does the world need? Who needs you? What need can you meet? Don't compare with other people. Don't worry what other people are, are doing and, and you're not. Do what God has called you to do. Then go to bed. 
curl up in his cradle of grace. Father, thank you for Jesus who frees us to be ourselves, not to be somebody else. Thank you that who we are, our identity, our value, our significance could not be more secure. If we know Jesus and we're in him, then he is the meaning of our lives. He is why we're here. And we can serve others, those close to us and those at work. We can serve them in his name and know that it counts. And we'll be rewarded someday for how well we do that. And Father, I realize in this audience, there may be some here who don't know if they know Jesus. Please don't leave them leave without your spirit calling them to, him, to yourself. Call them to yourself this day and then fill the rest of their lives with callings that, that matter, that mean something. So they can realize when, when they die that they've lived a life of significance, a life of value, not something they created, but something that you gave to them. And then you called them to serve others humbly in love. In your son's name we pray. Hey, let's uh, be reminded who God says we are in worship. Let's stand.
reminder and a great challenge for us today to to be who Christ has has made us to be and to to find our identity in him and, and to walk in that way so can we thank Mike Whitmer for teaching us that this morning thank you so much well thank you so much for being here happy Mother's Day and as you go from here may you walk in the confidence of knowing who you are in Christ thanks for being here